Hello there, and welcome to a very special edition of the End Zone Podcast that uh, I think we're going to start calling Mason and YB After Dark. Uh, uh, I'm Mason from Buffalo, and I'm joined here by our good friend YB from South Korea. How are you doing today, YB? Doing good and better than last time because the kids that kid actually went to sleep at a reasonable time and isn't isn't sick. So that's always a plus. Yo, this will be a kid-free podcast, it seems. So that's uh, definitely, I think, a step in the right direction, at least, uh, you know, for the current amount of discussions we're going to have. We should definitely have a, a kid-full podcast where everyone brings their kids and we let them try to discuss football because, frankly, they might be more accurate than some of us are. Yeah, well, Brock, uh, I don't know if it was by design, but Brock had his kid on, like, us intermittently throughout the last episode and that was that was really sweet i thought i thought i thought the kid did a good job so (laughs) so we might be we got to get them ready for the future now you know yeah a future of uh podcasting uh semi-professional takes about football so (laughs) (laughs) you got to start with so uh we decided to bring this one to you today because the news broke just this morning that uh, Gerard Mayo has been named the head coach of the New England Patriots. Yep. And it got some discussions flowing about the current head coaching situation. So, YB, you uh, had said you might have heard some things over the past year. Mm-hmm. Tell us about it. Well, I mean, I think we can start off with the like with the actual event of Belichick uh, stepping down. De- well, stepping down, like depending on how you a mutual parting, like whatever whatever parlance you want to use. Like we had a hunch this might happen after the disaster season that the Patriots had, but you know it's still a shock when someone that's accomplished as much and is as respected as much as Belichick is, like finally decides to say it's time. Whether he, he said it was time of his own volition is something that only he and Kraft know. But on the whole, like obviously, you probably have some feelings of your own regarding the, like, you know, the uh, if, I, if I remember correctly, around the latest uh, around the around the NFL episode, Handus was singing "Ding Dong, the Witch Was Dead," except he's a substituted coach with Witch. So, <laughs> as a Bills fan, I think you might have similar sentiments about it, but. Uh, that was yeah that was genuinely the clip i sent to the group chat when you sent the news that bill belichick was gone <laughs> it was exactly that song so and, and, and hands vocalizing that song was a was a moment like it, it legitimately, legitimately made me laugh out loud on the subway but, but on, on the whole like it, it's like obviously obviously a lot of people paying their respects to belichick and like whether you're like it or not you know I don't like you watch soccer, Mason. Like you watch EP, you uh, unlike our other compatriots. So you're familiar with the case of Arsene Wenger in our, at Arsenal. Like he accomplished an undefeated season, led Arsenal to great heights. But over the last last couple of years of his tenure, things stag- stagnated. Like he seemed out of ideas. Like he'd lost like he lost some of the talismanic players from his heyday, and the new signings that he brought in weren't working out. So it kind of felt like like at our, like the Arsenal guy Arsenal fans like some of them were saying like it was I thanks for the memories but maybe it's time and I have the hunch that with a lot of Patriots fans like they respect Belichick for what he brought to this organization like obviously they still have the most Super Bowl wins out of any organization in the NFL but it was time and before we like, go in deeper on Gerard Mayo like I, I guess I wanted to get your thoughts seeing as you know it, it he's the well, the quote-unquote witch that was uh, presiding over that division for so long. 
you know, the, the Arsenal parallel really does feel, I think, pretty accurate. Because he, you know, he, he, Belichick does have had a lot of control over those personnel hirings and everything. And so, you know, it just, it, it hasn't been working out as well. And again, football is a very fickle beast when it comes to that though, too, because as long as you have the right quarterback, it covers up a lot. At right. least this year, let's see Kansas city. Their team is riddled with deficiencies, but you have the right quarterback and it makes the difference. And so without Tom Brady being in new England anymore, it does make his life a lot harder trying to to build that team. And so, you know, I, I wouldn't, uh, as far as like legacies are concerned, and I, you know, I know that wasn't exactly where we were going with a lot of this. I don't know that the last couple of years does really anything to him because he was such a prolifically successful coach. Right. And it's not just the amount of wins that he got; it's within the time frame that he did it. Right. Like the fact that he didn't need to slog through a bunch of losing seasons in order to to get to the heights that he is as far as his record is concerned. Like it's genuinely impressive that as long as he and Tom Brady were together, the Patriots never won less than what, 10 or 11 games. And even the year he had to use Matt Castle, he still won 10 games. Yeah, he made Matt Castle a lot of money that season, I'll tell you that much. Yes, he did. Um but I'm grateful that he is gone <laughs> because as long as the bad man was around, there was always that fear that all he needed was that right person. And then we're back to the terror days of him reigning supreme over the conference, over the, hell, the conference. Let's just say the conference. I mean, how many times were they in the conference championship? An unbelievable amount. And, unbelievable. and of that. Yeah. And then parlayed that into nine Super Bowl appearances. Mm-hmm. Six like, wins. like obviously there are a couple that like you kind of like looking back like some of them were highly fortunate we all remember the throw on the goal line that russell wilson like it spelled the end of the legion of boom and yep the falcons come back obviously like it shows you the patriots resolve but also in an, in like 95 out of 100 situations like that, the Falcons win that Super Bowl, and we might be talk, having a very different conversation, although you still have, what, five wins? Like, I saw an article on, I think it was Barnwell that wrote it, like, kind of tracking the evolution of Belichick and the Patriots. Like, so, obviously, there was a bit of fortune in the fact that he, like, I don't, I'm not, like, obviously, when you draft a guy in the sixth round, you don't have aspirations of that guy becoming the greatest quarterback in NFL history but he saw what he had in Brady when he when circumstances forced his hand he like in the pre in the first like several wins of his era like the defense that Belichick crafted with the players that he had like that would though like he still can coach a hell of a defense judging by this year with all the injuries like they were the Patriots were still a pretty respectable defense uh and then you saw him transition in the middle and get all these players like Wes Walker and Randy Moss at discount prices and transform the Patriots into an offensive juggernaut. You saw him like pick up veterans who had grown frustrated with bad circumstances like Corey Dillon. And like on the example Junior Seau, rest in peace. Like they he like he brought in like these veteran guys that like you could just squeeze enough juice or for one or two last runs and found players in the late rounds like Julian Edelman. Like Rob Gronkowski, like he found in the second or third round, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so it, so he was a remarkable coach. Like the past couple of years, obviously, have kind of blemished his reputation as a spotter of talent 
but to do what he did for 20 plus years is uh, like especially in a in a league that promotes parity like the NFL it's remarkable and it is it's a telling it's telling that like you repeated the sentiments that if Belichick were to somehow find that one like correct player for him you know obviously it was Brady for a long time then even though they had gone on some hard times in recent years you feared that they might like resurrect themselves from the dead. Dan Hansen said the same thing on the Randy Horn around the NFL podcast. So it's a common sentiment that some for someone that accomplished so much for so long, you never can write enough. Kind of like you know how the Chiefs like or we view the Chiefs as yeah, but they still have Mahomes and they still have Reed. So you never count them even though they look dreadful and even though the Patriots have looked dreadful for two plus years now, like you always worry that just one snap and he could be back roaring and creating a new dynasty in his seventies. It's a testament. Yeah, honestly. And it's, it's why if Bill Belichick has any genuine interest in still coaching, if this wasn't like his decision of like, I just want to be done and, you know, enjoy the rest of my life, which if he, if that was his choice, more freaking power to him, man, you were so successful. You made so much freaking money. Go and enjoy the back half of your life. Just, talking about football history and going out because genuinely he is one of the funnest personalities that I've ever seen talk about stuff like the history of football and things like that. He's so knowledgeable and he like loves it so much. And you can tell that when he talks about it. And so it's really fun to like, listen to what he has to say in those regards. But if he genuinely still wanted to coach, he could make the chargers one of the most dangerous teams in the NFL. Right. Like the Chargers, the Seahawks, like who are now yeah. the coach as well. Like, I mean, yes, but I still think that regardless of how well Geno Smith may have done over the past two years and okay, like it still leaves something to be desired in that quarterbacking situation. And I think with his pedigree, with everything he's had to deal with, if he's going to come back, that's the position he's going to want to know for the next five to ten years. He's not going to worry about. It. Yeah, either that. I would or... think anyway. Either that or like someplace like Washington where you have a high draft pick for a potentially a franchise changing quarterback. So like, Right. Or I mean, who knows? Maybe he's watched the tape and he likes something he's seen out of Sam Howell that he thinks he can do something with. Because I mean, Bill Belichick sees all sorts of stuff none of us seem to. Yeah, especially he seems to find like guys in the late rounds that contribute for him for a long time. So like with that, like I think the uh, obviously with after Belichick uh, was relieved of his duties or resigned, like I don't know exactly how to phrase it in a more neutral way. Like there was a lot of speculation that after Mike Vrabel's somewhat unexpected firing, that Vrabel, after he was inducted into the Patriots Ring of Honor this week, apparently that um, not this week, but this season during the Titans uh, bye week, and apparently, if I'm if according to the sources I've read, that was all that was a bit of a source of contention between Titans ownership and Vrabel, and. Like there were a lot of reports that Vrabel wanted to come back to New England in a coaching capacity because he obviously enjoyed his time there, but now the coach is another a, a different Patriots former Patriots linebacker, Jerron Mayo, and Mayo for a, I think after last year when which was obviously not a great season either for the Patriots, like there were like slowly beginning to be rumblings about if Belichick were to call it quits or whatever who would be potential replacements. And the name I heard the most because, uh, internally 
was not Patrick Matt Patricia or anyone. Well, Patricia's not there anymore, but not Bill O'Brien or anyone like that. It was Gerard Mayo. Like, I, apparently the players, the Patriots players that are there love him. Like, we've seen a, an influx of uh, former off-ball linebackers who've gone on to be great coaches. Rabel, obviously, being a notable example to Miko Ryans in Houston. So maybe that position lends itself to being having a bit of a perspective on kind of how to approach things as well as motivate people because the middle linebacker usually is like the leader of the defense well, traditionally this is now it's a bit of a more varied thing nowadays but it's in, it's interesting because the patriots like we've grown accustomed to the patriots way being kind of being something that's spearheaded by belichick because belichick famously only hires people that he's worked with before or came out of his ex-wife's womb like that was that was the colorful phrase that greg rosenthal used but it, and so <laughs> and so the patriots have like turned the reins over to someone that was in their system for a long time uh, for a while obviously was played who played there for a long time and apparently is one of the more respected minds amongst like assistant coaches and mayo obviously like ha- contributed to the defense that was as it was pretty. It was pretty darn good considering the key injuries that they had to guys like uh, Matthew Judon and Christian Gonzalez. So it's going to be a new chapter in New England, and you really don't want to be the guy that replaces a legend. You want to be the guy that comes after the guy that replaces the legend. But who knows what we'll get? It's an unexpected time in New England. Yeah, it really is. I mean, so uh, I I. I like it from a number standpoint. It, it, I hadn't seen some of those reports, and so it definitely seemed a little out of the blue to me that they just immediately went and hired somebody a day after they got parted ways with Belichick. Two days? I mean, it's been no time at all. They really had a decision lined up for that. Um, but, you know, as somebody in their division, I want him to fail. I would like him to fail miserably. <laughs> but, as a fan of people who deserve chances getting chances. And I think more NFL players deserve chances to be higher up in the ranks of coaching and of the front office positions. Just And it's it's so much harder for a lot of them, especially when you were successful because you're playing until you know your 30s. And during that time, anybody who's becoming a GM or a head coach has spent years doing grunt work and for the longest time they were now going to expect you to do it despite the fact that you had had so much experience playing football they didn't care about that they still wanted you to work your way up those ranks and that seemed unfair and so it's really cool to watch the patriots take someone who played as recently as gerard mayo did and now give him a chance to leapfrog some of that grunt work and get to that head coaching position because when he was on the Patriots, he was a bit of a terror. Like he was the guy who ran their defense on the field for them. And so he was the guy who knew what was going on at any given moment on both sides of the ball, because he had to. And so I, you know, I, I, and, and for all of those reasons, I'd, I'd like to see him be successful because I would like this not to turn into the Kirk Cousins experiment or the Le'Veon Bell experiment, where both of them are like, we're going to reset the market. We're going to make this more fair for everybody. And then when you're mildly or complete abject disasters, 
-hmm. you don't reset the market for anybody. You scare everyone away from that. And so I'd really like him to be successful so that you'll see more players get those opportunities that I think they deserve. Yeah, and and it's like obviously he's he's one of the younger coaches now. Like now that he's a head coach, like like Belichick was basically de facto defensive coordinator. So Mayo got promoted from being linebackers coach to head coach. But yeah, it's it's a, it's a fun, it's a fun time because uh so many like former players like apparently they have they have an eye for kind of like obviously they know what it takes to motivate players and they have pedigree like guys like Ryan's guys like Rabel and now guys like Mayo so it's going it it's going to be fun it's going it's going to be different maybe there will be some like growing pains and maybe he doesn't work out that's always a possibility but it's it's cool to see someone that like he retired in I'm looking up his records and he retired in 15 and then he became a linebackers coach in 2019 so he's been doing it he's been going at his like uh, at his position for 5 years so I think he's put in his dues as a coach like so it's going to be interesting. It is. And I'm, I'm excited to see how it turns out for them. I think it will be a really fun watch. And, you know, not to, to beat the horse that gets beaten every time we're talking about the coaching cycle and what's going on with there. Mm-hmm. It's nice to see another minority hire in those positions because they absolutely deserve it. Right. So I think that kind of transitions us into the other vacancies that are currently still, like, without a coach. So there were like when we recorded uh for earlier this week there were six if i remember correctly because we carol and belichick hadn't like announced that they were parting ways yet and so now the open slots are the falcons the panthers the raiders the chargers the seahawks the titans and the commanders like so to touch on belichick one last time in this podcast like we were discussing like who belichick would be a fit for and you mentioned the Chargers, obviously, and then obviously we I mentioned the Seahawks, like Commanders, like if, who know like and if he goes, would he be willing to, like just be the coach as opposed to being the, uh the one the one man uh, what's the word I'm looking for here like the ch- commander in chief? Where he, oh, yeah, and that that's tough. But I mean, you know, honestly, I think that if you're gonna hire Belichick. You do it where you have the GM vacancy too, though, which actually that does make the Chargers a little more problematic, doesn't it? Because their GM is still in place, isn't he? No, Telesco got fired, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, did he? Okay. Yeah, All right. Plus, plus so then so then that would be fine. Because again, as long as you let him pick his own guy, you know, put somebody there who's obviously going to make the decisions, but do it mostly at his behest. I think there's a lot of, of ownership that would gladly give that to somebody like Belichick. Right, like, I, I I don't know the exact workings of the Patriots front office, but if there's like a basically kind of like an assistant GM, like or like assistant to Belichick the GM, that like it, that people feel would be good for a bigger role, then that might be a place they want to go to because Belichick would probably like outline his conditions and his one of his famous conditions that he as I mentioned before is that he works with who he knows, so that's. That's the thing, and uh, the Panthers—they've they fired a GM. Like Brock touched on it in the last episode, that Scott Fitterer is gone. Like I, if I remember correctly, on a previous pod, I also mentioned how Scott Fitterer wasn't gone after hiring what three coaches and failing, and now he is gone. So 
that you're just getting people fired left, right, and sideways. <laughs> I mean, it's not it's not hard to see like what the problem, like who's and who's in trouble. So, but I I did not expect Carol to be Carol to uh, part ways. Belichick, I kind of expected because like things had basically reached an intent, some a point that was not tenuous. But on the whole, like like uh, other people, like so of these vacancies, like I mentioned Washington as a as a spot that's probably more attractive than people give it credit for because they have a high draft pick which you can use to draft a new cube, uh, potential franchise QB. They have a pretty good assortment of weapons, and uh, they have a new owner who isn't a shitbag. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I think in your case, like you probably point to the Chargers as the best, like as the best, like most attractive spot for a for a coach that's looking for a new job. I would think so. I mean, you've got high-end talent on both sides of the ball. You can figure everything else out. Yeah, you, you have the I mean, best. When you've got Justin Herbert and Keenan Allen, and you've got Bosa on the other side, like, you're fine. Yeah, but the, the Chargers thing kind of, it is kind of concerning because I think this year they, like, they did the, you know, the, the cap manipulation and restructuring to kind of go all in this year. Which means you know you have to pay up next year, and if I'm not mistaken, uh, Keenan Allen, Khalil Mack, Mike Williams, and Joey Bosa account for what I don't know, like over a hundred million on the salary cap. Four guys. Those four Look, guys. What What it depends on right now is ownership. As long as ownership uh, is willing to part with money now, in cold hard cash, they can fix that. Uh. Well, you do realize you're talking about the Spanos family, so that might be so probably not. Probably <laughs> not. <laughs> That's a fair point. They might not. I mean, you again, you might, but I think they could let either Mike Williams or Keenan Allen walk. And at this point, honestly, I'd see kind of either of them go because Keenan Allen seems to have this weird injury bug at that just he never's gonna play a full season, is he? Yeah, like not, not anymore. I'm I love Keenan back to day back to his days at Cal, but like like I, I I do too. And I mean back when I played fantasy too, I loved him. He was amazing. Like when he played it, he was just always so good. But now it's will he play? Right. Um, they could fix some of that. I mean, and realistically, they could let maybe Khalil Mack walk. Yeah, they they probably look to get rid of Khalil Mack, although he put up a boatload of sacks this year. Like, if I mean, I'm he honest, did. If I'm being honest, they might be looking to get rid of Joey Bosa. If I'm being perfectly honest, because maybe he has a he has a much more serious injury history than Keenan. Al- well, not much more because Keenan's. Quite hurt a lot as well, but Bosa ever since that con- ever since his extension, he's had in- he's had injury issues out-, out the wazoo. No, that's that's pretty true. So you know it, it, it. So, but again, that they have options, right? They, they, have options. they can get rid of somebody on either side of the ball and still have somebody who you'd consider superstar talent. Right on top of having Justin Herbert. Like the one other thing that I think might that would might give them pause is that the Chargers, like they their previous coach obviously was someone that was that was you know a defensive well supposedly a defensive whiz, and that obviously didn't work out. So like it's not it's not a logical and rational line of thinking, but when you fail with a 
when you fail with a coach that's like you know slanted in one direction considering offense or defense <laughs> they some ownership might feel that it's time to go in the opposite direction because that direction didn't work before so who knows yeah it's really definitely hard to know what they're gonna do over there or, or really at most of these positions around the league because uh, in, in fairness outside of one or two of them they're all mildly attractive coaching positions right now right the only one that I'd really be wary of is probably Carolina. That was exactly the one I had in mind as well. They're so up in the air with what's going on there. Uh, Falcons might be a little bit dicey too. Falcons, like, I, I mean, I personally find the Falcons opening like you I do mean, love I, the Falcons. I, 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 I think I, I think the Falcons opening is more attractive than you might realize because. From what it feels like, they really have everything but the quarterback, which obviously is is a problem depending on how you look at it. But like, but honest to God, like, and like anybody that's played Madden worth their salts, I think could have done a better job of utilizing the weapons they had than Arthur Smith. So, and you know what? Honestly, the one thing that I think makes either of those coaching positions more attractive than any of the other coaching positions is the division that they play in. Right. That's a division that if you're a good enough head coach, you can come into one of those two teams and you can win that division. Right. Like that's a, that's like, oh, that's that's something. job security right there. Yeah, and also the like it seems like with the Falcons at least, not so much the Panthers, but the Falcons, the ownership is relatively patient. Like they were like they were honestly debating whether to keep Arthur Smith even though he put on a shit show of a season. So that's that's a point. you know what ownership is a knock against the Panthers too. Yeah, David Tepper has not exactly covered himself in glory this season, but no, he um, has not. Like so, of potential coaching candidates, like the you know the the like names that go up. Obviously, Vrabel is still like Vrabel is still like without a job, and I think if someone wants to have a more defensive-minded coach, that's a tough that's a tough and a motivator. Frable might be someone that people are looking for. Like, well, with Rivera out, that puts Eric Bieniemy back on the street. This is true, and but but also there's obviously the hot names that came up before. Ben Johnson obviously can't interview yet because he's busy like game planning against the Rams. But Ben Johnson, when the postseason ends for the Lions, whenever that is, like he'll be a very uh, hotly pursued candidate. And this is something that's more personal that I saw on Twitter, but. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how like the outside world sees this, like it, the outside, like fans outside of Cincinnati. But Brian, like the offensive coordinator for the Bengals, Brian Callen, apparently has gotten at least four interviews for a t- head coaching job. Which to Bengals fans, like sometimes it's a little bit mystifying, like exactly what Brian Callahan's role is because Zach Taylor calls the plays. Like obviously Callahan probably has input in there, but like. We have a like I think the us Bengals fans have a somewhat of a lower opinion of Brian Callahan than I think the rest of the league and the players do. So it's kind of it'll be weird to see because the the Bengals have had a lot of continuity on their staff. Like uh, Callahan's been there for three or four years. Anarumo's been there for four years, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and well, so you're hitting that time frame now, though, of consistent success where they're going to start picking your team apart. Yeah, exactly. And like last year, Anaruma almost got almost got picked. Like he, it was down to him and Jonathan Gannon in Arizona. Like obviously, Arizona went with Gannon. 
and I don't think this year's performance will have any like will bring any uh, interviews for Anarumo this this job cycle. But it's and with the Bengals with the players that they have like potentially hitting free agency. Obviously Higgins being the big one, but also their starting right tackle like their erstwhile corner one. Like it'll it'll be interesting times for us like for even the team that has stability at coach. Yeah, and so I I think. Honestly, you're going to see him because, uh, I mean, look at the back half of your, your season this year. I mean, you were without Joe Burrow and still managed to put together enough wins to add right. a winning record. Like, that, right. that's pretty freaking impressive. So, but I think regardless of who's calling the plays there, I, and I don't know if Frank Smith has gotten any interviews yet, but I imagine he's going to. Yeah, It's going to be the same same thing you see there. It's like, is he the one calling the plays or is it McDaniel? And and I don't necessarily know one way or the other, but it's the fact that he is, I guess, effectively the protege. That's right. what they want. It's be, the people who took the chance on McDaniel because he was Shanahan's protege. Well, that's mm-hmm. worked out pretty amazingly for them or taking a chance on Shanahan because he was his dad's protege or, you know, thing. It, it's right. worked out really well a lot of times for these offensive minded coaches. And I think we've talked about it on the podcast before. And if not, we've at least talked about it just collectively that the idea that when you get that offensive minded head coach, mm-hmm. there's a stability yeah. in, in your organization and what you do, because yes, a great defense will help keep you in a lot of games, but a great offense wins you a lot of games. Right. And it's so like, when you know that your offense is the same year after year after year, that helps when you're not getting your OC taken away from you all the damn time. Right. It's a flip of the like the old old axiom, like defense wins championships. Like maybe that's not the case anymore. Like so, but the pendulum always swings back in that regard. Like, I mean, it, at the end of the day, I don't, I don't, I still think I kind of agree that defense does win you championships, but right. it's that game. It's not necessarily the road to the championship. It's how you win the championship. Right. Like in a one in a one shot game, like anything really can happen. So like like the Yeah, the, and defense again, defense is what's gonna keep you in it. Right. Every what time there might not be what wins you that one one uh, penultimate game. Like that's definitely true. That's definitely true because of the random nature of a single game postseason format. Yeah, and again, I think when you, when you're talking both sides of the ball, I think defense is what reduces variance. Mm-hmm. Defense gets you that that smaller window of potential outcomes. Mm-hmm. Where again, offense. I mean, the the Bills' offense right now is the greatest example of that ever. Because yes, it's a really great prolific offense, but it also has these points in time where it decides it's going to go into full meltdown mode doing exactly what it normally does and ruins games where like a defense doesn't ever seem to do that for you. It always kind of just pulls it back to the median. Yeah. Like defense, like I, it's paradoxical because defense, <clears throat> I think I've heard that defense doesn't always trans like transfer from season to season, but from game to game defense might tra- transfer a bit easier, which, you know, there's a difference between, one week and one, the other week and one season and another season when personnel and a lot of other things may be different. So, Yeah, and I mean, again, it's got to be hard as a defense versus an offense because you're playing reactionary football. Right. Like, you're constantly having to know what they're doing and then make the right decision based on decisions that they've made, not decisions you get to make. Right. 
where the offense, it's constantly, it's we're making this decision. We're going to do this thing. That's what we're doing. Right. Okay. And then, like, some other, like, I think some of the other names we've heard mentioned are Bobby Sloick, the OC in Houston, another, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, another person in the Shanahan coaching tree, if I'm not mistaken. And I believe you're right about that as well. Mm-hmm. Which, again, I mean, at this point, why wouldn't you gobble them up and hope for the best? They've been working out. Right. What, like, so of the seven teams that I mentioned, so, so, so to recap, the Falcons, Panthers, Raiders, Chargers, Seahawks, Titans, Commanders, who do you think will make the strangest decision? Like, when, look, when, you know, when the average fan sees, like, who? What? Like, is your, is, is it going to be the Raiders by default or? I see that. That was exactly the name I came up with when you were like, who was I was like rolling through. I was like, who is the team that makes the strangest possible decisions in every possible turn? And it's the Raiders. <laughs> like, like one one thing's for sure: the Raiders aren't Belichick's destination. I think Mark Davis has had enough of the uh, Patriot way. So, <laughs> yeah, yes, he might be done with the Patriot way. Although he's only ever gotten Patriot light. He's never gotten full flavor Patriot. <laughs> it would it would be funny because remember Brady's a minority owner in the Raiders, so the shoes on the other foot if Belichick would <laughs> Brady is Belichick's boss. Fantastic. Hey, look at me. I'm the captain now. <laughs> hey, right here. Right here. <laughs> so we didn't get a chance to uh, talk about the NFC postseason. I think he, I think Eric would appreciate it, but unfortunately, real life kind of separated us. So I think we can kind of close with, by giving our brief thoughts on the NFC postseason games this weekend. So let's see. Let's let's start with I think like I think uh, when Brock and Eric were discussing, like Eric was most excited for, if I'm not mistaken. Well, no wait. I'm I'm recalling badly, but personally, in terms of teams that are playing in the storyline, I want to start with the Rams and Lions. <laughs> uh, that's the storyline. That's that right there. Stafford returning to uh returning to Ford Field in a Rams uniform. Like Goff gets to uh, face off against the against the coach that basically hung him out to dry and ghosted him before trading him. Like McVeigh has said that he like he regrets handling it that way. So. I, I mean, and if there were no clear indication of we don't want you, it's we traded you one for one for another guy. Right. <laughs> but, uh, all, well, okay, let's be fair. The, the Lions and, got... Actually, not one for one. We traded and gave up more. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, you're... Like on, you weren't even worth going one for one. We needed to add up to you. To match we needed back. to sweeten the deal to get Stafford. <laughs> It and like the the final game of the regular season obviously had a big had a big impact on the Lions because Laporta like got a knee injury. Like they've I think I think I've heard reports that Laporta is progressing well, but it'll be he's questionable and like legitimately questionable, not the you know the fake questionable guy that's thrown on like every player with a niggling like issue. So. Like Laporta and St. Brown were the two like big weapons in the passing game. Like they obviously that would have genuinely hurt for him not to be on the field, right? And on the other side, Nakua has taken over the wide receiver one role, and Cup is a vastly overqualified wide receiver two. 
and the Lions' pass defense has not been the great, not been the greatest like all season long. So I think, I think if I'm not mistaken, at least one of Eric or Brock picked the Rams to pull off the road win. Like, what say you? This is this is a tough one because I think that you've got a team that has kind of the pedigree of going through mm-hmm. the playoffs versus the team that's done really well but hasn't had to make that slog yet. And so that does tip it a little bit towards the Rams. But, man, the Lions have been so good. I'm going to lean towards the Lions in this one. I'm I'm going to lean towards Jared Goff getting just enough done mm-hmm. and the Lions showing up and just being, you know, that angry brand of knee-biting football. <laughs> The Rams are playing so well, though. Like Kyron, like the they are. Kyron Williams was the second leading rusher in the league, and he played twelve games. Wait, what? I'm, I'm serious. Kyron Williams, Kyron Williams was the number two rusher in the league, and he played twelve games. That's genuinely amazing. That is like uh, you, Nakua's got the receiving record for a rookie with most receptions and most yeah, yards. Puka Nakua, just in general of. All the different storylines that are meeting up and coming into the playoffs. If somebody was genuinely writing the script for the NFL, they've done an amazing job this year. It's been oh, genuinely yeah. incredible. Oh yeah, like, <laughs> like I, I, if I, if you were to make me pick with a gun to my head, I'd lean the Lions. But I'm not conf- I'm not too confident in that pick because the Rams are playing so so well like not just the stars that we've mentioned pre like right now but the young guys on their defense like Aaron Donald obviously is the headliner and he's had a rejuvenated year but guys like Kobe Turner guys like Byron Young Ernest Jones who's also a pretty overall to be a young linebacker the Rams are playing all of, all over like they're playing well across the board and like the Ram like even in the season when they won the Super Bowl Super Bowl the Rams like they had like a swoon in the middle, like in the middle of the season, and then they caught fire in the postseason. So maybe like they have experience riding that wave. So, well, and that's what you need. I mean, that that was the Joe Flacco experience in Baltimore too. You get hot at the right time, you ride that, and and it leads you all the way to a Super Bowl. Um, it's remarkable that we were like discussing whether Stafford might be retiring after last season after a really. Badly injury. I mean, that was a pretty gruesome back injury he took. I, I, he, I wouldn't have blamed him. Yeah, but he's a he's a tough guy. He's a tough ass dude. Like, yeah, he, he clearly is. So, um, okay. but I, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, when it, when it really does come down to it, though, like this is this is that game in the NFC that's like Browns Texans in the AFC. Right. Both teams are just so close to one another mm-hmm. that. It could go either way, and it really wouldn't surprise me. And it could honestly be a blowout in either direction, and it wouldn't surprise me. Right. Okay. And then moving on, the the, the well, okay. Let's let's uh, we'll save the Packers uh, Packers Cowboys one because I think that has more meat on the bone. And we, let's go a bit into the negative here. Let's talk about Eagles and Bucks. So a rematch of two years ago when like even into the stadium because the Eagles visited Tampa on wildcard weekend when Jalen Hurst was not the Jalen Hurst that we know now and Tom Brady was still quarterback in Tampa and Tampa beat the shit out of the Eagles. Like, would... Now 
the Eagles are uh, supposedly the more talented team, but they are awful. They are playing absolutely awful. <laughs> like Eric, Eric was good on his word that he picked the Bucks to win in in the previous pod. Uh, <laughs> I I can't blame him. The Eagles. Are I have a hard time disagreeing with that. I mean, the Eagles have looked atrocious. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, realistically, they should be on a longer losing streak than they are. Them beating the Bills was a pure thing of luck. Yeah, like we uh, when we when we did our two person two person weave last time, like we were, we discussed the Eagles and how they were due for an ass whooping because of they had not been playing well, even despite racking up the wins. And uh, after you went off, uh, after you uh, had to leave, like Ryan and. We Ryan and I and Eric talked about the Eagles like in more detail because obviously Ryan being an Eagles fan and it was it came we came to the conclusion that like there's only so much you can put on like schemes and like coaching like it's just the players are playing bad like the players are playing some of the worst football and collectively all of them are playing like bad football over several weeks and like. It's got, it's a frustrating situation because you know they're talented. You've seen them do good things even early in the season, and the only and within way, this scheme, right? And so, like, all you can say is, like, you, the players just have to play better. Like, oh yeah, that's a that's a trite coach speak, but how do you get them to do that? Like, you can only blame scheme and like coaching so far. The players have to play better, and what can you do to make them do that? Right. And and at this point, it's like that's such a, a meta question at this point of of the grand scheme of things. But it's maybe they've just worn down for the season and they no longer have it in them to keep playing or it could be so many different things. But that's absolutely what it looked like is the players just aren't there anymore. They're not in the spot they're supposed to be in when they're supposed to be there. They're not making the choices they're supposed to make because they're either having mental lapses or something like that because this scheme worked last year it worked the year before it was working this year what's different who knows like like it like it was working to a degree but you we, we mentioned like they weren't the uh they, they weren't the juggernaut that they were last year and this obviously no. isn't, and it is doesn't help the fact that AJ Brown is hurt, like he didn't practice on Thursday, and obviously they play on Monday, so they have one extra day to see if AJ Brown can get back together. But if AJ Brown were to miss this game, then that's just like Jalen Hurts was got banged up in the season finale. He had a he had a gnarly looking finger injury. Like that that did not look like someone that that needed to be out there. Like it's like it's hard. I mean, at the end of the day, like I would pick against them with AJ Brown on the field if he doesn't go. Like it, it like the 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 comeback story, the redemption for Baker Mayfield, like reaches new heights. Like, (laughs) oh my God, I can't believe Baker Mayfield's gonna win a playoff game. Well, well, he did win one. He is he has already won one. Remember. Oh my God! That's Baker Mayfield could potentially come out of this weekend with more playoff wins than Lamar Jackson. (laughs) 
I didn't. I, I think I did. Uh, I don't think I mentioned to you on the group chat, but my personal like funniest scenario, like as a Bengals fan, is like like I like Houston and I want Houston to go on, but for the purpose of NFL script writing, the Browns win, and so the the lower seed faces the one seed. So odds are that they end up facing the Ravens. Flacco beats the Ravens, and then the Browns. <gasps> And then the Browns get knocked off in the AFC title game, so just so that Deshaun Watson can't get a ring. <laughs> and, yeah, no, Deshaun, no, Deshaun and, gets nothing. Yeah, the, Deshaun deserves nothing and gets nothing. But it would be, it would be, I think, I think it would lead credence, credence to the fact to the speculation that the NFL season is indeed scripted. If the Browns go into Baltimore and Joe Flacco like reclaims his old old home. It would be that the funniest would thing ever. Just be some of the most incredible writing that I've ever seen. Okay. And the <laughs> Lamar can't do it in when it matters. Brigade will be like having a field day. Oh, a field. I mean, that would it. That would genuinely, I think, be the most devastating end to this Baltimore Ravens season possible. Not to get yeah. too much into the AFC here, but <laughs> if they if they lose in that first round, especially if it's to the Browns and Joe Flacco. Oof. Can you imagine, like, oh, like, oh yeah, I forgot about this. Odo Beckham's on the Ravens. Can you imagine the <laughs> team that he trashed on the way out, like, just a few years later, beating beating his team that looked like they had everything in the palm of their hand? Oh, my God. God, the storylines are just too good this year. So, And speaking of storylines, right. we've got one more great NFC game left with just some delicious storylines. Right, Green Bay, Dallas. Green Bay, Dallas. How you like, feeling? Oh well, Green Bay ain't stopping anybody, and Dallas offense is playing really well, so they're gonna be some fireworks this this game. I can tell you that much. Jordan Love's been excellent, right, for the past like, month. It'll be it'll be a shootout. Jordan Love's played about as well as any quarterback in the last month. Like, like he's he's something like eighteen to one touchdown to interception ratio right now. Chicago fans are, I think, about to have an aneurysm because like, the Green Bay Packers seem to have discovered another potentially Hall of Fame going quarterback. The entire <laughs> NFC North, I would be apoplectic. <laughs> oh my God, can you imagine? And the the Green Bay weapons, like Aaron Jones aside, they're all so so young. Christian Watson, Detavi- like uh, Jaden Reed. Romeo Dobbs. Yeah, Green Bay is like genuinely the youngest team in the entire playoffs right now. Yeah, and it like I think like even though like Green Bay is such a good story and the redemption for Jordan Love like it's it's a great thing. I have a hard time believing that Dallas will lose this week because like just as much as the Packers have been playing well on offense, so have the so have the Cowboys. If if. If the Cowboys do lose this week, is there another coaching vacancy we're talking about? Oh, if they lose this week, absolutely. If they lose this week, absolutely. I I think so too. I'm I'm honestly of the opinion if they don't at least make the title game, right? They've got a problem. Like, but let me give you another another. Uh, maybe maybe this isn't script writing, but so in 2021, the 2021-22 season, the Cowboys went 12 and five. And they lost in the wildcard round to the Niners. Like, you might remember the hilarious ending of Dak Prescott sliding a little late. The whole, the ref has to touch the ball bike thingy. Yep. So good. And then the season afterwards, 22-23, they went 12-5. and 
they lost to the Niners in the divisional round. And also, there was a funny-ass play. The last play was another uh, comedy gem with Ezekiel <laughs> Elliott playing center and then getting absolutely destroyed. And that's the have, to have that as the lasting memory of his the final shot of Ezekiel Elliott in a cowboy uniform, like, I feel bad for Zeke. I honestly do. <laughs> but so they were 12-5 and five and lost to the Niners in the wildcard round. The next year, they went 12-5 and five and lost to the Niners in the divisional round. Can you guess what the regular season record for the Cowboys was this year? Oh no! <laughs> they went twelve and five. It's going again. And but this time, remember the the Niners are the, the Niners are the one seed, if I'm not mistaken. So they are, yes. So and the Cowboys are the two seed, courtesy of winning the, the winning the NFC East. So if the Cowboys win, they will not face the Niners in the divisional round. Remember, wild card, divisional round, conference title game. <laughs> the <Super laughs> <Bowl> itself. <laughs> Oh, it's too good. It's too good. The scriptwriter has done too good of a job this year. Applause to you, sir. Like you're 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 providing some amazing content and story for all of us to enjoy. The greatest irony is that in the be- in the beginning of this season, the NFL put out a bunch of a bunch of a little like shorts where the NFL stars like they discussed how the like the NFL is quote unquote scripted. <laughs> that, oh my god, that series of well, ads takes a very different meaning now. And I don't know if you watch Tom Grassi's stuff at all. I don't, but I've heard of it. This this entire season, he's been doing a bit every week if, if the NFL was scripted with an NFL script writer. <laughs> and, like, the last episode he got to do of everybody making the playoffs and how it worked out, it was like, this is glorious. Like, genuinely, if there was a script writer, he did such a good job. <laughs> Ah, uh, the NFL. Always a prime source of entertainment for, for for freaks like us. Yep. So who do you so you still have Dallas in this game? I I I think just again, Dallas I'm I'm gonna lean back again on the pedigree thing because when it comes to the playoffs, honestly, it matters. If you've been there before, if you've had to do this before, it matters. It shows up almost every time. Yeah, and the Cowboys actually have a semblance of a defense. The Packers, I don't think they do. So no, no, they don't. They've cobbled something together that appears to be an NFL defense, but whether or not it plays like one, especially giving the Bills Rasul Douglas for a third round pick, we robbed them. I genuinely imagine when Brandon Bean made that offer, he had to be shocked that they were okay with it. Well, remember, Rasul <laughs> Douglas was on the Packers uh, from the from the Cardinals practice squad two years ago, so they basically got a third round pick for one year and a half work of nothing. So. All right. I mean, you know what? All right. They made out fine. But still, I yeah. would rather have the number one cornerback in football than a third <laughs> round pick. That's a fair point. But, oh, okay. So, okay. So, let's finish up on a few uh, fun notes. And I'm asking you this because you're a resident of Buffalo, which is known for some, shall we say, uh, inclement weather at times. Uh, so, can't, so, the game in Kansas City. Is supposed to be minus five degrees Fahrenheit. That is cold. <laughs> um, you, you, I, I presume that because you live in Buffalo, you've been outside in situations where it's minus five degrees Fahrenheit. How does that feel? Uh, so honestly, it's deeply dependent. Uh, I was at the Patriots game when it was three oh. degrees. 
Oh, that um, the where Ryan the, Fitzpatrick the took off his shirt. That was great. <laughs> um, so the the difference in in it being is whether or not there's wind. Is and from what I understand, it's going to be windy, and okay. that's why it's going to feel like negative five because it's supposed to hover around, I think, nine to ten degrees. And then when the wind chill gets factored in, it's going to be down to about that negative five. That's what makes it brutal because yeah. the cold is constantly hitting you. It's yeah. not that you're just in it, it's being forced upon you. And so playing in it has to be absolutely miserable because everything feels harder. Okay, so I'm reading the report and According to the forecast, which obviously is subject subject to change, so temperature is minus like around. So the temperature at game time is around five degrees with a wind chill of minus eleven. I don't know yep. Fahrenheit very well, but I presume that's not pleasant. It is not. So if you're minus five, so you work in Celsius, minus five would put you somewhere in the minus 17? ten to fifteen range in right. Celsius. Okay, and then minus because 11. I think we meet back up somewhere around the negative thirty. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah. Uh, can can you, like, can you imagine, it's, like, I, I know, like, t I think most, most of the guys, like, for the players that play in the NFL, they don't use sleeves, you know? They have the gun, they have the guns out, so to speak. Like, can you imagine if some, if some, I presume there will be some insane individuals that actually do that, but... Reports are that two is going sleeve and gloveless. Good luck to him. Best of luck to him. That does not sound fun to me. Because <laughs> well, again, the, 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 the five degree game was bad, but there was no wind. So it was okay. Was but if there's wind. What was the temperature at the game where Mac Jones threw three passes? Like that had to, that had to have been miserable too. So the temperature genuinely wasn't that bad that day. The issue was it was a driving rain and it was windy. It was oh, yeah. probably somewhere in the the high 30s to low 40s. All right. Okay. But so because of the wind and because Bill held, Bill hated Mac Jones. So. Correct. And and because again he wanted to stunt on the Bills like he always does of like hey I can do something completely stupid. Oh, oh, cool. It's like the time he showed up with Tom Brady and he was like, we're going to run the ball twice. And we're like, you, you can't do that. That's You have to run the ball more than that. You, can, you can't have an NFL offense only running the ball twice. He's like, fucking watch me. I win. Why? Because I can. True. Because I freaking can. Because I can. That, that's Bill Belichick's motto in life, though. If you just watch every press conference he's ever had, every outfit he's ever worn, because I can, it's a Bill Belichick life motto. <laughs> okay. Let me, but yeah, I, the Dolphins are going to have a bad time. Oh, yeah. like I, I, The Chiefs are going to have a bad time, too, if I'm being perfectly honest. I know. Honestly, like we all like to talk about home field advantage, but is it really home field advantage when you're miserable, too? Yeah, that's, that's very true, but and I, as far as I know, the Chiefs usually don't play in like such ridiculous weather, even at Arrowhead. No, I mean that's it's that is definitely uh, an out of the order. I mean, it's they're they're saying that it might break certain records of temperatures and stuff like that. So it's right. clearly an extraordinarily out of the ordinary situation. Right. Okay. I I think we've covered a lot of topics and we've gone on a lot of things, but to bring it back to what initially like got us to 
actually start recording this podcast, let me give you one one extra question, which the answer is relatively simple if you think about it. So this week we had three uh, septuagenarian coaches, legendary coaches, like step down or leave their post of duty. So Belichick, Pete Carroll, and Nick Saban in the coaching in the in the college ranks. Of these three, who do you know, who do you think is the youngest? Oh my gosh. Don't look okay, it up. Okay. So I'm not looking it up, but I'm just uh, so I know it's not Pete Carroll because I'm like 95% certain Pete Carroll's older than Bill Belichick. So who it's got to be Nick Saban, right? Nick Saban's the youngest. It is not. It's Bill Belichick. Damn. What? <laughs> Nick Saban and Pete Carroll are the same age, and Belichick is one. Oh, okay. My God. Bill Belichick is the is known to be, you know, he has that image of being the old, like grumpy, uh, you know, that old, the old guy, basically. We know Pete Carroll's old, but you know, he carries himself in a very young. And he's nice always age. got that chewing gum, and he's got that smile on his face. Yeah, but that, that's a guy who genuinely loves hanging out with twenty-year-olds. Yeah, so who knows? Maybe he'll be the new coach at Alabama. Go figure. No, but isn't, didn't, didn't Pete Carroll take um, some kind of office role with the Seahawks? I have no idea. I don't know. Like, I didn't follow up on it. Like, I have a hunt. I like. Based I on think what, I think I, he's taken some kind of like senior advisement role. Okay, let me check that. But like, when you he, when you listen to his press conference, like he he saw like he want he wants to coach still like. Again, I I am firmly of the opinion he doesn't necessarily want to coach because he wants to coach football because that's what gets him. Up. I genuinely think he just likes hanging out with young guys and okay. just like living up his life like he's still like twenty. I, I think that is most of his motivation in wanting to coach football is being in a locker room with a bunch of young people. Okay, you're right. You're right. So I looked it up, and so he has moved into an advisory role, but an advisory role. If Co- if Pete Carroll says like, all right, screw this, I want to go coach somewhere, and it won't be the NFL, so can you let me go? Like, I don't see why. Like, it, I don't think it would be as contentious as if he wanted to go to another NFL spot, but who knows? No, I agree. But um, speaking of the Alabama opening, I did see a very funny report this morning. Actually, what, it sounds no, no, oddly no, enough. They. It sounds like the Democratic Party in Alabama is trying to tap Nick Saban. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, to yeah, run because they. And it sounds like the Republican who has been in office might be getting tapped to come coach. Tommy Tuberville. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Former Auburn coach. This is. The- <laughs> They're just trading spots. That's it. Right. It's just one's going into politics, others coming back to coaching. The script, the script writers are working overtime. <laughs> they even roped in the college ranks. Look, they had that strike earlier last year. They need to make up some of that that pay that they lost. One one final note on those guys, like not not uh, Nick Saban, but oh no, no wait, Nick Saban. So Nick Saban and Bill Belichick. Do you know where they started? Well, well, maybe not started, but do you know that they have a common? They had they had a common working workplace. A long, long time ago. I did not know that. Let me all right. Let me check to see if it was actually a common workplace in terms of they worked there simultaneously, or if like. But hold on. 
So now I know uh, Bill Belichick started his career breaking Bill's fans' hearts with the Giants. Okay, no, they they legitimately Nick Saban and Bill Belichick worked together for over for forty for over three years at a certain look at a certain pro team. Do you know which team that is? Okay, it's very it's very early in Bill's head coaching career, so I think it's a. Oh my God! Would it be Cleveland? Yes, Nick Saban was. <laughs> Nick Saban was the Browns' defensive coordinator when Belichick was head coach. <laughs> like, no way! That is... Scriptwriters, come on! You are doing too much work right now! That is amazing! If the, and then they retire the same year? Oh my god. If the, if the Browns had... If the Browns had put on, like, their season a tailspin, like, had gone down the drain as opposed to what it is now, then could you imagine the two... The, <laughs> Belichick and Saban reuniting one last time in where their co- where their professional coaching careers started to see to see if they could they can put conjure up some septuagenarian magic. That would have been, that would have and then tank the Browns one last season before they retire. I would have been fine. I would have fine with that conclusion to be perfectly honest. It would have been hilarious. It would genuinely would have been amazing. Oh my god. I think we touched on septuagenarians enough in this podcast. Yes, and look, we're trying to make sure everybody has something to listen for in here. And when they, when, when the older folks have woken up and remembered that they're listening to us and catch this, they're going to be thrilled. I would imagine so. All right, Mason, it was it was fun. Always always fun to do this. This is the second. This was the second time we've done a two man week, and I think the vagaries of time zones really don't allow for the West Coast based Eric and Brad to join. Maybe next time we'll see if we can rope in Brock. But yeah, I'll maybe we can do it like a weekend or something like that where we'll know he'll have some time and we can finagle someone else in on this nonsense. All right, sounds good. Carry us out, man. All right. From uh, YB from South Korea, from Mason from Buffalo, we'll catch you next time on the End Zone Podcast. Have a lovely day.